Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. We have Christians and patriots from across the country joining us. Let me know that you're here. Let me know where you're from. Uh, Let me know what your questions and comments are. Let us all know what your prayer intentions are during this half hour as we pray for America. We're going to go to scripture. Uh, I'm going to continue the commentary I started last night on the special prayer campaign for the elections. I want to show you the election prayer, pray it with you, but I'm commenting on it line by line uh, because it contains a great theology of voting. And that's what something we want to all convey to our friends, to our families, to our fellow believers, to our pastors. You want to have pastors uh, more active in our elections and in gaining uh, voters, registering voters, get the, getting them well-informed. Well, the, the elements of this prayer are going to help all of us and our pastors to do that. And then finally, before we finish tonight, and don't let me forget, I want to tell you something about the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court abortion decision that is going to astonish you. I'm sure that the vast majority of you have never even heard before what I'm going to tell you. And yet it's documented history out there in the public for anyone who who wants to find it. So I'm going to tell you that towards the end. Let's go to the Word of God first. I see comments coming in here already from Montreal. We are we appreciate our international viewers uh, praying for America as well, uh, and um, uh, various people from across the country. So thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining us. Let's go to the Word of God together. Did you know that in the first chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, it's actually a commentary on the first verse of the Bible? The Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. And in the famous passage I'm about to read for you, an early Christian prayer and hymn, Paul is explaining that the beginning is Jesus Christ. He is the beginning. Let's read this beautiful passage from Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him were created all things, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he himself might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things whether in heaven or on earth, making peace through the blood of his cross. Let us pray. Father, we pray for America tonight. We come together and we are fervent in our prayer, trusting in your providence in which our founders trusted, 
entrusting to you our communities, our families, our churches, our elections, entrusting to you, Lord, our economy, our border, everything, our military, our veterans, everything, Lord, in our nation, our freedom, and our unborn children. We entrust it all, O God, to you. We pray for America with the confidence and faith that your word calls us to have and that your spirit enables us to live. We ask all this in the name, the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, so uh, Zip is saying, hello, Father. I'm not Catholic, but I listen to you nightly in prayer. You brought hope in a bad time. You were missed after that, chiming in from Wisconsin. So, yes, uh, I think you're referring to those weeks right after the, the election and uh, the 2020 election. Uh, but then, of course, you know, we began this, this nightly Praying for America program. So we hope that you can join us regularly for this as well, because we prayed intensely during that time. That really was something intense. And I know that many of you were were uh, following uh, us. Uh, some of you first connected with us at that particular uh, point in our history. And it was historic, wasn't it? Many, many people talk about those those weeks right after the November 3rd election. And boy, it was intense. And uh, we prayed and commented each night. We had the Right Side Broadcasting team with us. And uh, we appreciate all of you uh, joining us for that. Uh, let me uh, make one comment here. You know, isn't it the case that I was thinking of a phrase today that it, it summarizes, I think, what so many of us are feeling right now in our nation? And the phrase is outrage overload. I mean, it's like, you know, we all know what it's like to be outraged by something. And, you know, things happen in the world, things happen in the country, and we're outraged by it right? Because we're people of virtue, we're people of faith, we're people who love freedom, we love America, and people do things that are completely contrary to these values, and we're outraged by it. They get away with things uh, that they shouldn't be getting away with, etc. But we are in not just a period of outrage right now. It seems to me it's outrage overload. It's like how many different things can we be outraged about at the same time, and how many days are we going to live through where it seems like every day there's a new reason to be outraged? And here's the thing about it. It's not because we're reacting in an immature way. You are not the problem. You are not the ones that are crazy. It's not because we're exaggerating. It's not because we're imagining things. It's not because we're overreacting. You know, we, we, we check ourselves on these things every day, don't we? We go to prayer. We examine ourselves. We consult with others. We talk about this. It's not something that's going on in our imagination. As Sherry is saying, you know, that's so true. I am, I am outraged. It's outrageous. You know, it's one thing when something happens that we disagree with. You can disagree. You can even disagree with the, whoever's in the White House or the, the what the Congress. You can disagree with big things. And still, that doesn't rise to the level of outrage. What we're experiencing is an outrage overload where with good 
reason, reasonable people are saying, it's not just that I disagree with this. It's that this is over the top. People should not be uh, even allowed to think about the kinds of things that are happening around us. And yet, the evidence is right there that it's happening. Again, this is what's happening at the southern border uh, is, is evidence of it. Or the, you know, the outrage that created by well, these, 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 these mass shootings that happen. And we, we continue to pray for the people in uh, Uvalde, Texas, but, and all the other places where this has happened. But my goodness, and you look at what the Democrats are doing in response to try to shut down the Second Amendment. You know, I saw today, you may have seen the same thing, how in Lawrence County, Georgia, did you hear about this? This county is training, arming and training the teachers in the schools who choose to, to uh, do this, take, take advantage of this, this option, to be armed and trained to protect the children in their care. Because we've reached a point, obviously, with the breakdown of values, the breakdown of the family, uh, we've reached a point where entrusting our children to their teachers in school is not just a matter of entrusting to them the education or the classes or the courses that they're they are taking. It's literally an entrusting to them of their lives for that period of time that they are in that classroom. So why shouldn't these teachers be, be armed and trained to defend these children? You know, I'm a priest, you know, in the Catholic faith, we have confession in different denominations. We have different forms of, you know, public repentance of sin, right? You know, scripture says, confess your sins to one another and different denominations do it in different ways. And I often say to people in the Catholic uh, context, you know, a gun has never come to me for confession. A gun cannot repent. A gun cannot commit a sin. A person commits a sin. And they could commit it using a gun. A person could also commit a, a, a great act of virtue with a gun. You can save lives just as well as take them. So the problem is not the guns. The problem is that there aren't enough good people willing and able to use them for the protection of life. Well, this is what the people in Lawrence County, Georgia, have done. And God bless them. There's 45 teachers so far that have been armed uh, and trained. And, you know, nearly statistically, nearly 60% of the American public uh, believe that teachers should have this option to uh, uh, be able to protect their students, you know, with more than just goodwill. Uh, if some tragedy like this happens. So we'll continue to be talking about that. But I, I, I do believe that we're, we're on, a, on an outrage overload. And my goodness, what do you do with that? I mean, after a while, it, 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 it weighs so much on both the body as well as the spirit that what we need to do, of course, is what we just did. We need to go to the Word. We need to go to passages like we just read and think beyond the current circumstances and say, you know what? God really does have the whole world in his hands. He really does have the providence of the universe under control. That doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. It means just the opposite. It means it should impel us to do something and to do more 
And uh, let's see, Ivan, you're making a good point. Uh, Ivan is saying, why not give that job to a, a veteran? Uh, we are already trained uh, in weapons and warfare. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, uh, God bless you and all the veterans. And I like that idea. Uh, you know, veterans are uh, uh, perfect for this, uh, perfect for this kind of job, I think, really. Uh, and, you know, I think that's why the more we discuss this, uh, the more of these kinds of ideas uh, we can exchange with one another and share with people throughout the uh, country. We've got to we've got to be coming up with realistic and sensible solutions right? Sensible that don't end up uh, uh, eroding our rights in the process. And again, as a cause of, of outrage, you know, Democrats who want to take a crisis and exploit it, this is what they do all the time, exploit it for political purposes and take the nation down a direction that we really shouldn't go and which is really uh, not good for anyone. Sherry is saying, uh, email and call your representatives. Uh, with your complaints as well. Keep in touch with them, brothers and sisters. Uh, state lawmakers, it's more than ever important to get to know our state lawmakers uh, as well, of course, as our federal ones. Now, I began last night, I want to continue doing this here for a little bit, and uh, and that is talking about the election prayer. So we're in the midst now of the primary season. There's going to be a lot of primaries in the month of June. And uh, we're going to be having on, on the coming programs uh, into next week some very important election conversations uh, and give you some great resources to know where the candidates stand, uh, et, et cetera. Uh, but the prayer campaign we have been doing for years, this election prayer campaign, and you can find it at electionprayer.com, okay, electionprayer.com. Uh, and uh, the election prayer for life is uh, one that prays that the people of God will be activated, motivated, awakened. And I want to go through some of the um, lines in this prayer. First of all, let's say the prayer, and then I want to continue my commentary about it, because it contains a theology of voting. So we see how our faith, how the Word of God impels us to be involved in the political process. Let's pray together. Oh God, we acknowledge you today as Lord, not only of individuals, but of nations and governments. We thank you for the privilege of being able to organize ourselves politically and of knowing that political loyalty does not have to mean disloyalty to you. We thank you for your law, which our founding fathers acknowledged and recognized as higher than any human law. We thank you for the opportunity that this election year puts before us to exercise our solemn duty, not only to vote, but to influence countless others to vote and to vote correctly. Lord, we pray that your people may be awakened. Let them realize that while politics is not their salvation, their response to you requires that they be politically active. Awaken your people to know that they are not called to be a sect fleeing the world, but rather a community of faith renewing the world. Awaken them that the same hands lifted up to you in prayer are the hands that pull the lever in the voting booth, that the same eyes that read your word are the eyes that read the names on the ballot, and that they do not cease to be Christians when they enter the voting booth. Awaken your people to a commitment to justice, to the sanctity of marriage and the family, 
to the dignity of each individual human life, and to the truth that human rights begin when human lives begin, and not one moment later. Lord, we rejoice today that we are citizens of your kingdom. May that make us all the more committed to being faithful citizens on earth. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so now, electionprayer.com is where you can get this prayer. Download it in English and in Spanish. You can order these prayer cards, and we'll send you as many as you need for your churches, for uh, other, um, other occasions as well. I commented on the first few lines of this prayer last night. Let me pick up where I left off. It talks about our solemn duty to vote, to influence others to vote, and there, by the way, you know how so many elections are won by a very, very, very small margin of votes, and sometimes literally by a handful of votes, sometimes by a few hundred, sometimes by a few dozen, sometimes by just a few. So literally, the influence you have in getting others to vote, and sometimes it's just a matter of reminding them to get to the polls, can actually turn an election under certain circumstances. So we talk about that, and then it says, and to vote correctly. Now, is, is, what kind of a statement is that? Is that a partisan statement, to vote correctly? Well, what do we mean by voting correctly? There is a spiritual component here. Are we voting for the glory of God? Is that our motivation? Are we voting out of a love and a care for other people? Starting with, whom do we have to care for first? Starting with our own families. Are we voting with others in mind? Or are we voting just with ourselves in mind? It seems that uh, fair to say that a spiritual uh, Christian approach to voting is a selfless one. We are looking at it as a way of loving and serving our neighbor, right? So voting correctly, furthermore, is when you think about the very purpose of government, participation in the process, including voting, needs to advance the purposes of government and not frustrate them. That's voting correctly. So if government exists to secure human rights, the choice in voting is going to be fueled and informed by what party, what candidate is going to best secure, this is, this is from the Declaration of Independence, right? Secure human rights. That's what governments exist to do, the Declaration says. God gives us the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And voting correctly means voting in such a way that the purposes of government are advanced, which is boils down to the purpose of elections, the purpose of voting in the first place. If you have such blatant departures from principle, like abandoning the right to life or abandoning the border, all right, if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. If you don't have a country, you don't. why do you have government? And if you don't have a country and you don't have government, why do you have voting? So voting correctly means you look at these circumstances. And you know, any party can arise, any political candidate can arise and take one position today and change their position tomorrow. So that's what makes this, this uh, not necessarily a partisan statement, but rather a statement of common sense, reason, and values. Okay, so to vote correctly. 
Then we go into this part of the prayer that talks about awakening. You know, one of my programs that I did here not long ago uh, was with the uh, author of the book, uh, Awake, Not Woke. So we're in a woke culture right now. It's basically sick, okay? You can, you can replace the word woke with sick. And um, it's in the dark. Scripture calls us to be awake. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That was an early Christian song. We are awake. Jesus talks in many of his parables to us about the need to be vigilant. Be awake. Stay awake. Watch. Watch, first of all, because you have an enemy, the devil, who is sowing seeds of weeds, okay, trying to choke off the word of God, and who's trying to, as St. Peter will tell us in the New Testament, devour you. So you have to be vigilant for that. You also have to be vigilant for the coming of the Lord because he's going to come at a time when we least expect. And like that parable of the virgins waiting for the, the wedding to begin, some of them weren't prepared. Their lamps went out and they left. They, they missed uh, uh, the uh, wedding banquet. So being awake is a very biblical theme. And so the prayer here talks about the voters being awakened. Because, you know, we can go through election after election and be asleep. We could be asleep. One of the ways that voters are awakening, and I know some of you are commenting uh, on, on this, is um, awareness of voter integrity, right? The integrity of our elections is essential to advance, and most Americans support uh, common sense measures like uh, voter ID requirements and signature verification, et cetera, and cleaning up the voter rolls, for goodness sake. You know, we run a ministry here at Priest for Life, and we've got people working uh, uh, full-time every single day of the week, uh, making sure our list is clean, which means Somebody died, you mark them as deceased so they don't get the mailings anymore. There's duplicate mailings, you, you eliminate the duplicate. Uh, on and on it goes. There's ways of keeping a list clean that ordinary ministries and organizations like us know how to do. Why doesn't a state government know how to do it, right? The voting rolls have to be cleaned up. And, and on and on it goes. So we can be asleep or we can be awake. We can be vigilant mindful of traps, pitfalls, things that can compromise our freedom, and of course, evil doing on the part of those who want to just grab power rather than to engage fairly in the process that has been given to us. So let your people be awakened, first of all, to the proper connection between politics and salvation. Now, many spiritual commentators and many pastors will tell you, and of course they're correct, that politics is not our salvation. Now, we have to be careful here because some say politics is not our salvation as an excuse not to get involved in politics and not to call their people to get involved in politics, and that is wrong. So, you, you know, it's possible to take a truth and then use it to serve a falsehood. So those that are saying, oh, oh, oh you know, we can't rely just on politics, you know, it's not our salvation. Nobody's saying it's our salvation. 
Our salvation is a person whose name is Jesus Christ. Our salvation is the God who became human, died on the cross, shed his blood for us, rose from the dead, and is coming back. He's our Savior. But what does that mean? Lord Jesus, save me, and in the meantime, I'll just sit back and wait. Is that what the Word of God teaches us? Or does it teach us to be awake, to be vigilant, to do, to work until He comes, to do the task that we've been given to do, to exercise the freedom that has been placed in our hands, to rise up and do the work that God has given us both the insight and the energy to do, to use the talents. The parables, right? The master goes off on a journey. He leaves talents with the servants. And then when he comes back, he wants to see some fruit. He wants to see some results. So the scriptures are full of examples of how God, in calling us to put our trust completely in him and to acknowledge that he and only he is our salvation, nevertheless calls us to do many things. And he calls us, among other things, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We give to God what is God's. But we give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, God has set up earthly authority. Paul writing to the Romans, you look at Romans 13, he calls civil leaders ministers of God. And then we're called to participate in the process. Participate in the process of our civil life, and that includes, of course, voting. So the prayer says, politics is not our salvation, but our response, O God, to you requires that we be politically active. It's a response to God that we then engage meaningfully in in exercising the freedom and the citizenship that he gives us. We are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul writes to the Philippians. But we are on earth. As the letter of the Hebrews tells us, we are strangers and in exile, but we are in exile doing something. Just like in in the Babylonian exile, you read in, in the prophet Jeremiah, Remember chapter 29, he sends a letter to the exiles and he he says to them, build up the city, pray for its welfare, and build it up. Here they are in Babylon in exile, but they're still supposed to be active citizens. So so now, as the letter to the Hebrews tells us, we're in exile here on this earth, but we got to build it up. We serve other people, and one of the ways we serve them is by electing the right kind of leaders. Well, that's all the time we have right now to, to, to comment on this prayer, but we're going to continue uh, again uh, tomorrow night uh, uh, with, with this. Electionprayer.com. Friends, I want to ask you, would you go there, get the prayer, and would you be our apostles for this and get other people to pray this? I know many of you pray it already. If you've been with us in past election cycles, you know that we do this. But could you be the, you know, the emissaries of this uh, for us and get other people to get these prayer cards, get them by the hundreds, get them by the thousands, give them out in the churches. Pastors should be giving out these prayer cards now and say we got the most, like President Trump tells us, the most important midterm elections 
in our history. And many, many believe that. Many believe that. And it's time. It's time to really explicitly pray like we've never prayed before for the elections in our country, including for their integrity. Many of you are mentioning that. I see in the comments. Of course, we have to pray and work for the integrity of the elections. And one of the ways we, 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 we help with that not only is to pass many of the good laws that are being uh, crafted in the states and oppose the bad laws that, you know, Democrats introduced in Congress to try to federalize the elections. That's unconstitutional. But uh, also just to overwhelm by numbers, overwhelm turnout so that any kind of, of uh, wrongdoing is overcome just by the sheer numbers of those who are voting, as we said before, correctly. Now, I told you at the beginning, I was going to tell you something about Roe v. Wade that's going to surprise you. When a case goes to the Supreme Court, you know, there's a record, right? I mean, there's facts to the case. And that record has been examined in a trial, right? And there have been testimonies. There's a, there's a record. There's a bunch of paper, right? People have said things. People have attested to things. People have testified, sworn under oath. Depositions have been taken. There's a record. And then that record is then reviewed, before it gets to the Supreme Court, it's reviewed at the appellate court level. So in the federal courts, you've got this three-tiered system, right? You've got the district court. Then you've got the court of appeals, the circuit courts. And then from there, it can be appealed to the Supreme Court. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Roe v. Wade, the abortion decision. 1973, legalized abortion throughout all 50 states, throughout the entire pregnancy. There's no record. There was no trial. There was no appellate review. None. What they had was an affidavit from somebody, by the way, that I knew very well, the Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade. I knew her. I was a spiritual pastor to her and helped her, became a good friend, helped her on her journey of healing. She became pro-life. And it was sincere. She never appeared one day in court. There was no record. There was no appellate review. And in fact, some of the justices that accepted the case at the Supreme Court level misunderstood what the case was about, believe it or not. This is all documented. Uh, Clark Forsyth, whom I've known for many years, great attorney, wrote a book called Abuse of Discretion. And it goes into the detailed history of Roe versus Wade. That's one of many sources where you can learn all these things. Like I said, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything secret, but I'm saying something that's not very widely known. And he, he shows how uh, this is true. And, and knowing Norma, I knew it directly from her that this was true. But this case was built on thin air. In fact, the justices and the oral arguments were saying at a certain point, it was, a, it was done in companion case with Doe versus Bolton. These two cases were heard together. And the justices were saying, are there any facts in this case? that we can be certain of? Are there any facts at all? This was, an, but some of them were under the, a misunderstanding that rather than answering the question, is there a right to abortion in the constitution? 
They thought they were talking merely about a procedural question as to whether a federal court could get involved in a state criminal proceeding. And understand what's going on here. You've got Supreme Court justices accepting a case which ended up being legalizing abortion as a constitutional right who at the beginning accepted the case because they thought it was merely a procedural thing. And when you look at the, the, the oral arguments, they hardly spend any time examining the question of whether abortion is a constitutional right. They uh, 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 hardly any time at all talking about the medical implications of abortion on women's health. There wasn't even a record to be able to examine at that point in our history. I mean, this is unbelievable. And there's a lot of other unbelievable things about this decision that, believe me, in the coming weeks and months are going to be talked about a lot across this country as the Supreme Court seems poised right now to finally reverse Roe versus Wade. So we're at a very, very dramatic moment. Stay connected with us because we're going to follow this with you. There's a website I want to give you now, supremecourtvictory.com. We at Priest for Life run that website. When that decision comes down sometime in the next few weeks, we're going to be broadcasting live all day long, giving you commentary, bringing on other experts, uh, talking about all this, unpacking it for you. Connect with me on social media. You see my address there, at FR Frank Pavone, Twitter, Getter. Instagram, YouTube, on all the platforms, Parler, and uh, Truth Social, of course. And we'll give you all the information about this, this dramatic moment in our history when it comes to abortion. So let's pray together. Lord, we are indeed, oh, we are indeed outraged, Lord God. We have outrage overload. It's too much. We are brought to our knees in, not in despair, but in in, in entrusting ourselves to you, Lord God, knowing beyond a doubt you are the only one we have. And we must entrust ourselves into your hands because, Lord, we have nobody else. We have no other savior, no other solution to the outrageous things that are being said, done, or left undone in this nation at this point in time. The greatest nation in the world so richly blessed, O oh God, by you. And yet leaders who are, who are ruining it, we are outraged, but we are confident in your grace. We are confident, Lord, with every fiber of our being, we believe we can take this country back. Why? Because it is in your hands, and you have put it in our hands. This country does not belong to tyrants. This country does not belong to political parties. This country does not belong to Supreme Court justices. This country does not belong to elites. This country does not belong to Hollywood leftist, woke, radical idiots. This country belongs to us. It belongs to us. Not because we, O oh God, are anything of our own strength. It belongs to us because you have entrusted it to us through our founders who had a vision inspired by wisdom, inspired indeed by your wisdom. So Lord, give us confidence tonight. As much as we are outraged, give us confidence 
that we can take this country back and that we will do so with your grace and relying on your spirit. We ask this through Christ our Lord, and we pray now the words that he gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great audience tonight. Thanks, friends. I'm going to keep all your intentions uh, in my prayers. I ask you to pray also for me. Connect with not only with me at FR Frank Pavone, but with Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. And uh, we will be back with you tomorrow with a lot more to say. God bless you all. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.